You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. Yeah, so as Matt said, my husband Tommy is a pastor. Uh, for most of the past 12 years, I've been a stay-at-home mom. Um, while Tommy was doing that. And so we had four kids in six years, which means that for like a good stretch of those 12 years, I was at home every day by myself with um, a bunch of really small children. And then so Tommy would come home from work. You know how your spouse kind of like bemoans their day a little bit? And I was like really kind about that and like, oh, tell me how hard it was for you out there at that coffee shop listening to peaceful piano music, writing a sermon, uninterrupted. Like, tell me how hard that was. Um, But guess what? The joke's on me because writing a sermon is hard. And so now I know that he really has been working all these years. When I made fun of him, he is actually doing a real job. So there you go. Um, We're here today celebrating our seniors. And as I was preparing for this message, um, I thought a lot about this milestone moment in these students' lives. Um, Is there anything else like being on the cusp of adulthood? There's so much possibility, the sense that anything could happen, that your best days are ahead of you. Um, It's been 18 years since I graduated from high school, which means that when I was graduating, all of these seniors were being born, which is fine, guys, okay, totally fine. I was not thinking about that. Uh, So anyways, um, so I I was thinking, I wonder what I would go back and say to myself um, when I was graduating. Like, what sort of advice have I picked up in these last almost 20 years? Uh, So here we go. Uh, I think one of the most important factors in the quality of your life is who you surround yourself with. And modern culture puts a lot of impetus on romance and finding the one. Um, So even if right now you're being encouraged to focus on your education and your career, eventually the tides will turn and there's a lot of like, when are you settling down? When are you getting married, right? And I'm here to tell you that I think this is bananas. And don't get me wrong, like, I love being married, and Tommy's great, Um, but, (laughs) most, mostly, Um, but the relationships that have defined my life and helped me be the person I want to be in this world are my friendships, and I don't think we talk enough about developing and maintaining adult friendships. It takes a lot of time and effort. But every other role in my life, wife, mother, daughter, employee, is made better by my friendships. Friendships don't come at the expense of those relationships, but instead it enhances them. And the friendships you've had up till this point in your life have probably been very proximity-based, like here are the 10 kids on your soccer team or the 25 kids in your English class. But now, as you enter into your 20s, you have the opportunity to be much more intentional about who you surround yourself with. So I was thinking, like, how do you know which people you should, like, invest your energy into? And I think the beauty of friendships is that they help call out, like, different parts of yourself. And so I love this idea. I first heard it from C.S. Lewis. Um, so my understanding is that Lewis had this group of friends who he met with weekly for years. And then one of the friends in that group died. And so Lewis writes, I think, I think it's going to be on the screen. There we go. Um, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. 
By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. And I love so much of what I think Lewis is capturing in this um, quote, because first there's this idea that like no single relationship can bring out the fullness of who you are. Just sort of what I was talking about earlier with marriage, it's like that one relationship can't be the one, like your only relationship. And also I love the other line, um, in each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. What parts of yourself are being drawn out by your friends? Do you like who you are when you're around them? Can you be honest, multifaceted? Do your friendships encourage you to be braver and more open to the world? If so, I think those are the kind of people you want to invest your energy into. If you find instead that you have to hide certain parts of yourself, that you have to always be on, or that your friendships actually make you a smaller person, that's not the people you want to give your energy to. And I think this litmus test works really great for romantic relationships too, because it can get easy to get caught up in the excitement of new love, but I think asking yourself, do I like who I am when I'm with my partner? Am I free to be my whole self? Can help you look at the relationship more clearly, like underneath the infatuation. Okay, so now you're out there, you're convinced that you should prioritize your friendships, um, and you need a few communication hacks, right, to help you make the kind of friendships you want. And bonus for you and the audience who aren't graduating seniors, I think these help in any relationship. So the first is this phrase I love to use, and it's, tell me more which is also on the screen. Okay, tell me more. Uh, people are drawn to people who are interested in them. So get curious about people's lives. And so I love to use this, tell me more about that, or this other one, which is, how is that for you? And I find that these are especially helpful when I don't know exactly what to say. Like, should I be offering advice? Should I be commiserating? Should I turn this into a pep talk, right? Um, but tell me more keeps the other person sharing and it keeps me in the role of listener instead of counselor or therapist or life coach. And sometimes people need us to play those kind of roles for them, but oftentimes I think what people are really looking for is just someone to listen. Um, so I think tell me more is a great phrase you can use to just keep finding out more about the other person, to keep being curious without kind of directing the conversation in a certain way. And the next one is, what I hear you saying. Well, I wasn't going to tell the story, but now I am. Um, the first time, so I learned this from Tommy. He, like, went to this counseling retreat, and then he came home, and we were, like, arguing about something, and he was like, what I hear you saying. And I was like, what is happening right now? Like, so anyways. Uh, but it's actually really great. So what I hear you saying. Um, I don't have to tell you that communication and relationships is tricky, even with friends. Often when conflict arises, we stop listening holistically and we start listening to defend ourselves. This means that the conflict stays on the surface without addressing the issue underneath the issue. And in my experience, there's always an issue underneath the issue. It's never only about the fact that your roommate hates that you leave half full water cups all over the apartment. 
If you focus on defending yourself against like that issue, then you miss the opportunity to see what's going on at the heart of the conflict. So okay, let's say your roommate says, you keep leaving dishes all over the apartment, we talked about this weeks ago, and it's really frustrating. You could choose to get defensive. Well, your clothes are everywhere in the bathroom, and you don't hear me saying anything about that. Uh, but then it just becomes this back and forth, right? About like who's messier or who's to blame. So what I hear you saying helps you get out of that defensive posture. So you might say, what I hear you saying is like, you asked me to start putting my dishes up, I haven't been doing it, and now when you see them out all over the apartment, it makes you feel like I don't care about you, and you're feeling disrespected. So this instantly diffuses some of the tension, and it helps you both regulate to have a more productive conversation. It helps, also helps you clarify, because maybe you're wrong. Maybe they're like, no, I don't feel disrespected. I just don't like there being glasses everywhere, right? Um, and so then you can kind of like go back and forth and get at the heart of it. So tell me more, stay curious. And also, what I hear you saying is this, to kind of help make sure that you're really understanding the people you're in relationship with. Okay, so now you're an expert on making friends, being a good friend. Um, let's talk about being good to yourself. I was thinking this week um, of this girl I went to high school with. Okay, you know how in high school uh, you kind of get invested in other people's stories and then their success becomes like the collective success of your grade? Like you're kind of like, you're probably, that's the athlete or she's really whatever. You like get into it because it's like represents all of you. Okay, so this friend of mine, she was like the brainiac, like super smart person in our year. And she was going to be a doctor. So I grew up in Houghton, so becoming a doctor meant this, she was like the best of us, right? Like she was really doing something with her life. Um, and so anyway, she had this perfect ACT score. She had lots of scholarships. Her parents had been saving money so that they could help her pay for med school so she didn't have to take out student loans. So it was like the, her whole family was like invested in this choice she was making. Um, so about halfway through her residency, she decided that actually that career path didn't work for her, and she ended up dropping out and kind of doing something different within the medical field. And I was reflecting on that this week because, honestly, like, I don't know a braver thing to do than that, to have the courage to say that the path that you thought was right for you doesn't actually work especially when your whole family is kind of like tied to that decision with you, that takes a lot of courage. Your 20s are jam-packed with these really big decisions, like what education or training are you going to pursue? What kind of career or job are you going to have? Are you going to get married? If so, to whom and when? Where are you going to live? Are you going to have children? Like these are really heavy-hitting decisions that have long-lasting ramifications, and the tricky part is that you are making these decisions during the decade in your life when you know yourself the least. And you probably think that you have like a really good handle on like who you are and why you make the choices you do. But as a person just slightly older than you, um, I'm going to tell you that you really don't, <laughs> that you really don't understand yourself like in the way that you think you do. And I think the trick is to be very gentle with yourself, to realize that your understanding of who you are is going to change as you age, which means you're going to inevitably rethink some of the decisions you've made, like my friend in med school. While that may sound like bad news, there is some good news here, and it's this. 
There is almost nothing that you can't get yourself out of. Obviously, some choices have consequences that are impossible to untangle from, but most of the things I'm talking about here are not like that. You are not beholden to all of your choices, certainly not to all of the big ticket items you're going to decide for yourself between 18 and 30. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to make changes, to change majors, to change careers. It's okay to have all of your post-college plans hinge on moving to Boston, and then you move to Boston and realize that you hate Boston. Or to realize that this person you've been dating for most of your 20s isn't actually someone you want to spend the rest of your life with, even though your family loves them and you invested all this time in that relationship. As Mary Oliver says, this is your one wild and precious life, and you should spend it in ways that bring you joy. And as Glennon Doyle says, the only person you shouldn't disappoint is yourself. I'm not saying that any of this will be easy. I really can't imagine what it felt like for my friend to sit down with her parents and tell them that she was not going to finish med school. I imagine that her parents were devastated, at least initially. So there's nothing easy about that. People you care about might not be supportive or understanding. They may be disappointed in you or angry with you. But I think what matters is that you, the person actually living your life, and how you feel about it, Learning to trust your intuition and yourself is hard. We have hardly any practice in it, especially if you're a woman. But you can do it. It's tricky to know when you should leave, when you should quit, when you should change directions, when you should rethink your plans. And I wanted to give you like a foolproof formula to use when you're trying to make those kind of decisions so that you could always get it right. But I don't think there is one. Because no one can really know this kind of stuff but you. And I also, new things are always going to feel hard. I have never entered into a new season of my life without thinking, like, why did I think I could do this? Um, so you're going to want to give things time to simmer, but then you need to have the courage to recognize when you've given the situation time and it isn't working. This doesn't always have to look like quitting or leaving. It could be renegotiating the way you do something. Um, I thought I was going to be like this earth goddess Zen mother when I had my first daughter. Like, I really thought I was going to just do everything I did before just with this baby, like peacefully nestled on my chest. And it turns out that I was wrong. Um, I was not Zen. I was not peaceful. In fact, I like yelled quite a bit at my baby, which I'm not proud of, but is the truth. Um, and I obviously just like couldn't get out of mothering, right? I couldn't just be like, turns out that was a mistake. Um, but I could ask for help. I could say like, hey, I thought I was going to be able to do this in a certain way, and I was wrong. And I'm going to need extra support to be able to be the kind of mother I want to be. And I want you to know that it took me eight years to figure that out in case you think that I had like a lot of, I don't know, mental clarity with a newborn. I did not. Um, so you can think through every facet of the decision before you make it and it's not going to matter. Some things you can't know until you're in the middle of it. So be gentle with yourself. And I was telling my girlfriend, Amber, that I wanted to share about this today. And she reminded me that in the Gospels, um, Jesus was always being grace-filled with people, except maybe the Pharisees and the religious zealots, so you can do with that what you want. Um, but the Bible tells us, right, that it's not condemnation that leads to repentance, which means change. So it's not condemnation that leads to change. It's kindness. We cannot shame ourselves into change, 
but we can be full of grace and compassion to ourselves in the present. I, I like to think about it like this, like if I'm talking to myself, like you were doing the best you could with the information you had, and now you have new information and you might need to pivot. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this whole thing where he's like, you have heard X, but I'm here to tell you Y. Okay, and all the things in the X column, in the first column, are things like, you have heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Or you have heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But then he's like, I'm telling you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Or I'm telling you don't seek retribution for wrongs. And each time he's saying this, it's like you understood the world in this one way. But I'm telling you there's more going on than that. There's another way to see the world. And I love this so much because Jesus is correcting people, but he isn't shaming them. He isn't saying, like, I can't believe all of you thought that loving your neighbor and hating your enemy was holy. And then I imagine this, like, huge, like, Jesus eye roll, right? Like, that's not what he's doing. Instead, he's saying, like, there's another way of being. There's a better way of being. And so I think... I want to have this same kind of energy in my life, and I hope that for you as well. Like, you don't have to get caught up in this shame and condemnation when you're trying to change something or rethink a decision that you've made. We can have that same spirit of Jesus. Like, you thought you were going to do this or be this kind of person, but I'm telling you, like, it's okay to change how you see yourself. And so um, I wanted to end today with this poem, um, to read a poem from one of my favorite poets. Um, Her name is Kate Bear, and the poem is titled For My Sister. Um, And I really love this poem, and I just kind of wanted to say it in honor of the graduates in this moment in your life when you're kind of looking uh, at this big transition. So For My Sister. It looks hopeless because the hope was sucked out of the room. Kind of a good news, bad news situation. The good news is there's a door. The bad news is that it's difficult to open. Do you remember when we were kids running down the hill, not knowing if our legs could carry us? That is how you must continue, wildly, wildly unafraid of what will surely come. So to the graduates and to all of us today, I just want to say, may we have the courage and faith to keep facing this world and ourselves unafraid of what will surely come. Let's pray.